Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the pod. It's Jazz here with Tim today. Tim from Apollo Capital. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jazz. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for jumping on, mate. This is the first time we are having you on the show, which is awesome. Um, and uh, it's great time that actually I'm having you on the show because there's a lot that's happened in the crypto market, and you guys obviously specialize in that space. So before we jump into full gear with regards to what's happening in the market and all. Do you want to quickly tell us a little bit about, about yourself and the fund itself? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Tim Johnston, uh, great to be here, uh, Managing Director of Apollo Capital. Um, so Apollo Capital, is, we like to think, the Australia's leading crypto asset fund. Um, so what we've seen over the last 10 and, and, and more years is, is crypto assets uh, become probably the, the newest asset class out there available to investors. And it it really started as a, as a hobby um, for your computer scientists and, and a few geeks. Uh, and, um, and over the years, it's <clears throat> evolved, it's morphed, it's um, changed and continues to change in a number of different ways. So back in 2017 was probably the first time that crypto really broke out into the mainstream. Uh, and towards the end of 2017, um, we decided that a, a fund uh, made sense because the space is not just about Bitcoin anymore. Uh, we had Ethereum start the year, I think, at $6 and finish at about $1,000. Uh, and also what's clear is that uh, a portfolio approach to investing in crypto, we think, makes the most sense. Um, so my, my background prior to that was a traditional funds management, superannuation. Uh, I'm a CFA charter holder. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we decided to launch a fund which uh, would make it easy for investors to get exposure to this, to this new asset class. Mm-hmm. So before we dig, I'm pretty keen to know more about the fund, but before we dig into the fund, uh, like I said before, it's a great time to have you on the show with all that's going on in the market. Um, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about what your take is on the market currently? Obviously, the market cap at the peak was sitting at, total market cap at the peak was sitting at, at roughly about $3 trillion. Since then, it's dropped to uh, 1.2, 1.3, whatever it is, roughly 58% drop, 58, 57% drop. What is your take on the market currently? And it's interesting, one more thing that you mentioned that um, crypto has gone mainstream since 2017. I'll like to challenge that a little bit. Was it 2017 or was it 2019, 20 that where it really went mainstream? Yeah, sure. Well, to, to answer that one, I, I guess... Um... Probably, it probably defines well, what does mainstream mean. I, I would argue that 2017 was the first time that it, it really broke out into the mainstream. I think what you're getting at is it probably didn't stay in the mainstream because in 2018 there was a pretty severe crypto winter uh, and and uh, you know, p- perhaps people got disenchanted and, and kind of left. But certainly uh, 2017 was the, the first time that, uh, for me, that that you know, it was really talked about in the media, um, you know, I think we had some Hale, um, Harvard and Yale, uh, MIT, uh, Stanford, their endowments invested in, in crypto assets through fund managers similar to us. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'd say that's probably the first time that it really caught the, the global sort of attention. Um, mm-hmm. And in 2019, 2020, uh, again, we've had another run up. So 2018 was quiet, 2019 was quiet, 2020, uh, it really did t- take off again. And, and, and so that sort of comes back to your earlier point about you know, my take on the markets and your know, market caps dropped by 58%. That's crypto. That's what it does. <laughs> and we, we prepare investors for that. We prepare our portfolios for that. It's a highly, highly volatile asset class. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to think of an asset being down or an asset class being down 58%, some people would just sort of scratch their head and go, I just can't fathom that. But mm-hmm. that's, that's crypto and you need to be prepared for that if you're going to invest in the space. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean the world's over. Uh, it's happened a number of times before. Uh, a stat that I like is, 
Amazon has twice had a 90% drawdown uh, from, you know, peak to, to, to off in, in a dot-com crash and, and the GFC. Bitcoin's had three 90% drawdowns. Uh, yeah, I'd like to think another one's not going to happen, but investors need to be prepared for it. And so you know, we can talk uh, for a long time about how investors should be prepared for that. But most simply, it comes back to having a, a long, a long uh, time horizon and um, not, not freaking out when this stuff happens. Mm. It's not about timing the market, it's the time in the market, isn't it? That's what you're saying. Um, so it's obviously a very fast moving space, Tim. Since 2017, we have seen more than 2,000 coins. It's actually a lot more than 2,000 probably. I, I haven't even looked at lately how many coins there are. Um, We've got uh, nearly 20,000 on CoinMarketCap at the moment. There, there we go. Um, as, a, as a fund, how do you guys keep a track of all these projects, the new upcoming and the ones that are already in pipes to make sure that the funds that you are investing in are actually secure because it's technology and technology is moving at a fast pace, right? It started with Bitcoin, came Ethereum, a couple of others. So how, how do you make sure that uh, the projects that you are investing in or what's your criteria for selecting the projects, I think is the, is the question that I have maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So let's um, step back a bit and we'll, we'll talk about the fund maybe a little bit more broadly and then we can we'll talk about how, um, how, how to answer that question. So we, we run a number of different funds now at Apollo, but uh, the Apollo Capital Fund is our, our flagship fund. Um, it's open to wholesale investors uh, in Australia. We have a few international investors as well. Uh, and there's, there's three buckets really to the Apollo Capital Fund. The, the first bucket is Bitcoin and Ethereum exposure. So the two largest assets um, and they make up together about 35% of the portfolio. The second bucket is uh, to your question, uh, Jazz, is, is what I loosely call other crypto assets. So out of those other 20,000, uh, X the top two, <laughs> what, do, what do we invest in? Uh, and I'll come back to that. Uh, and then the third bucket is uh, the defensive side of the portfolio, which is exposure to one of our other funds, which is a market neutral fund focused on yield farming or generating yield from crypto assets. Um, so that makes up about 15% of the portfolio. Again, Bitcoin, Ethereum make up about 35. So it's 50% uh, across those two. And then these other crypto assets uh, is, is another 50%. So, to answer your question, how do we decide what to invest in? Um, I think you can you can probably tell we don't keep a track of 20,000 assets because that's <laughs> a little bit difficult to do. Um, but the, the way we uh, do it is, is, is via a few things. So first, we've been in markets for a very long time. So we know the ones that we want to follow on, follow, and we know the ones that uh, we don't want to follow. Um, and so they might be, there's a number of high profile assets, which uh, not so much now, but you know, even as much as a year ago or two years ago, oh, there's even one in, you know, like Ripple, for example, Ripple's an asset that we're bearish on. Um, and it's still a top 10 asset. Uh, and we think, um, you know, that, 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 that uh, it doesn't belong in, in our portfolio. Um, so we, we don't really follow too much developments in the, in the Ripple side of things. Cardano is another one. Um, so, we kind of have that general knowledge of, of having been in the space for a long time and to sort of understand who the operators are, whether they're people, uh, whether they're coins, um, who else to follow, what are the other people we should be following and, and sort of watching what they do and, and learning from them. I think the second thing is our networks. So we, these other crypto assets, uh, they will include other crypto assets in the top 10, something like Binance coin, uh, which we, we quite like, uh, but they also do include they're very much like venture capital or even angel investments, like very early on. And uh, there might be new projects, new founders. Uh, and we 
employ a very similar analysis to, to VC. Uh, and so the way we get that deal flow is often through our networks, through other funds globally, through other founders of other crypto assets and that sort of network that you've, that, you know, the fund's been going four years now. So that's sort of built up over time. And, and Henrik Anderson's our CIO and, and he's very well known in the crypto community. So we, we do get access. And then um, I think the third thing is, um, so we, we, we talked about you know, general knowledge of the uh, crypto space, two, deal flow, and then three um, is, is you know, what sort of fits within our investment thesis. And so what are the things that we need to keep a lookout for that um, we think makes sense? So we, we have been big investors into DeFi, um, so decentralized finance. Are there new assets that we happen to see? It might be. It might even be as, as simple as following on Twitter. <laughs> we've we've invested in a number of coins, number of assets that we have found because of of Twitter, uh, and and that sort of comes back to those other points I talked about before. But uh, does it fit within the investment thesis? And and is this something that's complementary to the to the portfolio? Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers the the question about how we analyze um, new crypto investments. Sure. So how how do you in that case? Uh... In times like these, where in crypto world they call it crypto winter uh, or bearish market in traditional language, how do you, how how does the fund protects investors' money during periods like these where there's sixty percent, seventy percent drawdown? The, the 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 cheeky short answer is we we don't, <laughs> uh, which sounds a bit dramatic, but but really it's I think it's just a practical answer because uh, our our view is that to get exposure to crypto, you need to be prepared for the downside and the upside. Uh, and if, if, um, you know, if there's you know, funds or, or investors out there that want sort of all the upside and, and not have exposure to the downside, um, I think it sounds good in theory, but I think it'd be very hard to deliver. So, so we see our role as to be fully invested in crypto. Uh, no, we're not going to time markets. We're not going to time it and, you know, and, and move to 40% cash when we think markets are going to turn down because markets could keep going. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just a practical approach. But what we do say to our investors is that that's your job. <laughs> so if you've got a broader portfolio and, and very much core to our, um, our, our approach is we don't say investors should be investing 20% of their portfolio in crypto. We're talking one to maybe 5%. Mm-hmm. So with that one to 5%, you've got other assets in the portfolio. If you think crypto's run hard and it's time to take some profits, you can redeem. We've got monthly redemptions from the fund. If you mm-hmm. think that prices are cheap and now's a good time to buy in, um, you can you can top up and, and, and you can top up that allocation. Uh, but yeah, investors, yeah, I think our worst month was March 2018 and we returned minus 34% for the month. Equally, mm-hmm. our best month was August 2020 and we returned, I think, plus 62% for the month. So mm-hmm. um, we, we will provide both the upside and the downside, take a long-term view and, and hopefully that all washes out but with some positive numbers um, yeah, mm-hmm. for investors along the way. So do you work along with the other traditional funds as well uh, to invest their capital who are not directly exposed to crypto? Uh, so as an example, maybe Montgomery Fund? Um, not not so much. Um, I think that's definitely um, foreseeable in the future. Uh, we're definitely open to it. If there's, um, if there's people running funds out there that, that want to talk to us, we're very happy to, to talk about that. I think... Um, we do have, uh, so on, on our YouTube channel, for example, we've got Lucerne Investment Partners. Uh, that is a retail fund fund. They invest in uh, other funds that retail investors may not get access to. They were an early investor in ours uh, and, and they took a, a position in um, the Apollo Capital Fund and, and they've also taken a position in the, the Market Neutral Fund. Um, so 
there's a few like that, but I, I wouldn't say that's the norm. Um, I think that's um, yeah less less common. Uh, but we do also see dedicated crypto asset funder funds, and their job is to allocate to different crypto funds like ours. And we have probably half a dozen crypto funds of funds that have invested in our various funds. So, what's the minimum check size for the investors? Minimum check size for the Apollo Capital Fund is fifty thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, it's available to wholesale investors only. Um, so, traditionally, there have been no retail crypto funds uh, in Australia that haven't been approved by ASIC. But that's uh, just in our newsletter, which, which people can just subscribe to on the um, ApolloCap.io or, or Google Apollo Capital. Um, we sent out today that there's uh, some new you know, Bitcoin ETFs uh, in Australia. Um, so that is obviously a, a retail product. So that might uh, open the door for other types of retail crypto funds. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the market cap, if we are in a bear market or if it's crypto winter, peaked at $3 trillion, right? Um, since you guys are active in this space and based on your experience, where do you guys see this market over the next, let's say five years, if you were to long-term horizon, I'll call it for the sake of it, five years, right? So where do you guys see this market uh, in five years for investors who are actually trying to invest their money into the crypto space um, during this period? Yeah, I think the short answer there is we, we don't exactly know. Uh, and, and my the way I sort of frame this is we think, from day one, when we launched the fund you know, four, four and a bit years ago, um, there, there's a lot of potential within crypto. There's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of risks. And and you know, I've seen other funds come out and say that crypto has a potentially you know, $100 trillion market cap, which which you know, sounds great. Um, for me, yeah, I think there's plenty of upside, but we don't necessarily know whether we'll get to five, 10, you know, 20, 30 trillion. I think one, one example that I do like to point out is Bitcoin. Uh, as one asset. So Bitcoin market cap is uh, around about 600 billion at the moment, US. Mm-hmm. And, and Bitcoin is really, um, it's really been accepted as this you know, digital gold, uh, independent, apolitical store of value. If you look at gold, the estimated market cap for gold is around, let's call it seven to 10 trillion. And we mm-hmm. think that Bitcoin's better than gold. We think mm-hmm. that Bitcoin and gold share a number of properties, but Bitcoin uh, is probably superior uh, or some of those properties are superior in Bitcoin than they are in gold. So things like it's easier to store. Uh, I think is it, is it Warren Buffett that said, you know, all these gold miners spend an enormous amount of time and energy digging gold out of the ground, processing it and then storing it underground, um, you know, under, um, you know, Manhattan. So, uh, so, so, you know, Bitcoin is transportable. It's easy to send around the world. It's programmable. Um, it's very uh, easily divided um, and it's, and it's uh, impossible to fake as, as opposed to gold, which you, know, you can fake. So on that comparison alone, you know, 600 uh, billion versus you know, seven to 10 trillion, there's, there's maybe a 10X opportunity there. Things like Ethereum and, and other crypto assets, it's, it's very hard to put an absolute value on it and come out and say, we think Ethereum can get to 2 trillion or, or something like that. And, and our, our pitch, if I can call it that, is, is quite simple. There's a lot of potential. We think there's a lot of upside left. Um, and and you know, it, it makes sense to put that 1% or 2% of the portfolio and, and have that exposure. Where do you see the use of blockchain the most other than Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um, let's, let's start by distinguishing between private blockchains and public blockchains. So mm-hmm. we call uh, crypto assets, they, they work on public blockchains. So anyone can access them, anyone can mine them, anyone can participate, anyone can buy Ethereum, anyone can you know, send it around the world. Uh, a private blockchain might be like, I think um, IBM have this you know, Hyperledger framework. 
uh, and so that might be between you know four or five different companies and it's 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 gated and uh, you know you, you need to speak to IBM to get access to it if that's the that's the case so our focus is very much on public blockchains we think private blockchains a classic example is the ASX chess you know revolutions uh, mm -hmm. rev, um, you know, I, I don't I don't really understand um, what they're trying to achieve there because that still needs to be um, gated in the sense of centralized. So again, another difference would be a public blockchain is often decentralized. There's no one person or company entity in control. A private blockchain often is centralized. And there's no problems with being a centralized entity for something like the ASX because uh, you know, if there are things that go wrong, you often you want the ASX to step in and, and, and be the adjudicator and, and make those things right. So in terms of other than Bitcoin, what are the other public blockchains that we see value? I, I guess the obvious example there is what we call smart contracting platforms. So Ethereum is the leading smart contracting uh, platform uh, and there's a number of others that we invest in uh, and often they have different trade-offs. So Ethereum uh, is the most well-known, most well-used, but it's very expensive uh, processing throughput. So how many transactions it can process per second is lower than say something else like Algorand. Um, and, and so there's different trade-offs, but Ethereum is the most secure and, and arguably the most decentralized. And so what does that mean? What are the use cases? Um, look, there's some that we know and there's some that we don't know. So one of the, one of the, if we start with what we know, I think DeFi is a really interesting example where um, you know, there's been a lot of applications built on top of Ethereum. So actually, let me go back a step. So what does a smart contracting platform mean? It basically means that you've got a, a, a general generalized blockchain. So as opposed to Bitcoin, which really performs uh, once one purpose and it serves one purpose, uh, a smart contract platform you can build on top of it. And so you can think of it like a, a decentralized computer that people can plug into and build on top of, and then that will execute uh, programs or execute uh, code in a way that is decentralized and uh, trusted. And, and so uh, DeFi is a, is a great example of what we've invested heavily in, um, where what you can do is you can take uh, crypto assets and you can borrow against those crypto assets, or you can trade different crypto assets. So one example we really like there is what we call decentralized exchanges. So as opposed to using a Coinbase or a Binance, which are the largest uh, traditional uh, centralized exchanges, uh, there are um, things like Aave where uh, you can trade crypto assets in a decentralized manner. And so that's just code. Something like Aave is just code where you can plug in, you can bring your crypto assets and you can trade them. Um, you still pay fees uh, and um, you can you know, tra trade your crypto assets, but you don't have to set up an account. And there's no Coinbase saying they're jazz. Well, you can trade today, but Tim, you you can't. And so we think that's pretty, pretty novel. Um, and, and then in terms of the use cases that we don't know, uh, there's a really good tweet last year from Vitalik Buterin, who's the, you know, the main person behind Ethereum. And the question was, uh, the, the tweet was actually a question, which is, what do you not foresee uh, Ethereum being used for? And Vitalik responded saying NFTs. So here you've got the, uh, the main person uh, who's, who's you know, co-founded Ethereum, uh, as a very successful project worth you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, and he hasn't seen NFTs come through, which has been a, you know, a use case of its own. Um, and you've got things like NBA, NBA Top Shots and um, you know, different, different um, art-based NFTs and you've got gaming NFTs and you've got this whole sort of ecosystem that's come off Ethereum, which no one really saw happening and, and certainly the co-founder didn't, didn't see happening. So I think that's, um, you know, 
probably makes sense uh, to, it sort of fits in nicely with the, the raison d'etre of Apollo, which is, you know, having an actively managed professionals kind of manage what's going on in the market so that, you know, you, you can invest in and, and take advantage of these uh, developments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The NFTs, DeFi, this, the relatively, I mean, the whole crypto market is pretty new, but within the crypto market itself, the because uh, the space moves so fast that they, they, they've been there for that long now, even though they have only been there for a year or so. I mean, you look at the DeFi market cap, the last I checked was about 54 billion or something. Could be wrong on that completely. Uh, but are, are you guys seeing any new emerging use cases which have got the similar potential to uh, DeFi or NFT, which but are not as popular yet? Yeah. Um, yes, and, yes and no. So... Um, I think yeah, our, our uh, investment thesis has changed a little bit over the over the four and a bit years that we've been running. It was uh, a little bit different at the start, and then it's kind of morphed and evolved along with the markets. And so we we recently updated it to include uh, what we call like NFT infrastructure. So where our fund is not going to invest in. Um, art-based NFTs. We're not going to go and buy a, you know, a board ape um, or, or, or a people um, you know, piece of art because that's that's a different skill set and, and that's more like investing in art. Um, but we are keen to look at infrastructure. So, and when by infrastructure, I mean software, so crypto assets that allows the trading or the minting or the borrowing or the use or, or whatever it might be um, of different NFTs. Uh, and so the other one there is the metaverse. So we've seen Facebook rebrand as Meta. Um, again, we take a pretty sort of guarded approach. We're not going to move the whole fund into metaverse type assets. That's, but but we are going to look at uh, we are going to start to look at assets which give us exposure, kind of picks and shovels type exposure to um, this sort of new development. So um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've 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 seen. You know, if you had to ask me that question you know, six months ago, I would have said yes with you know, NFTs and, and Metaverse 12 months ago. Um, I think we're going to continue to see different things, but obviously you know, crypto's you know, been going for, for sort of 12 years now and um, mm-hmm. or a little bit longer. And so I, I, we probably, we expect to see more, but maybe at a slower rate going forward. Mm-hmm. Now, you've obviously worked in the traditional finance space as well, Tim. You mentioned at the start, right? Um, how much do you think crypto is related to traditional finance currently in terms of the price movements. Because uh, if we look at the traditional finance over the last couple of months, it's pretty much when crypto top the, if you look at the indices, SP500 top at the same time as well, it's seen 15% correction. Crypto is more of a free market uh, and more, more volatile, let's, let's just say. So, so 50%, 60% correction. Uh, how, do you, how do you see them together, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question, Jazz, and one that has changed a lot uh, since since we we started um, in early 2018. I think what we used to say with crypto doesn't correlate to traditional assets, uh, and, and that makes sense. I mean, the, the sort of data, the, the numbers when you crunch numbers, and, and we have, um, if you look at the returns from crypto, it, it tends not to correlate with traditional assets over a, a period of time, and and that was particularly the case in early days because it really is an independent asset class. Uh, and, and it really was, um, like I said, way back when it started, 2009, 2010, with Bitcoin, it was it was you know, not an institutional asset class at all. It was it was not even some people even today don't class it as an asset class. Uh, so so I think there's a two part answer for today. I think one, it's clear that the short term correlations between crypto and say equity markets have increased, 
And so we've seen that very, very clearly over the last couple of months. Interest rates have, have gone up. There's also sort of macro concerns. Equity markets have sold off and crypto assets have sold off as well. I think the, the interesting thing is we, we, we do update our correlation numbers where we say compare the Apollo Capital Fund returns to uh, Aussie equity returns, Aussie bonds returns, uh, international equity returns. And we do that from, from time to time and we update it, say, every six to 12 months. Uh, and we did that in February, I think it was, of this year. And, and over a longer period of time, the correlation numbers are still quite low. So I think what the way I've kind of uh, summarised all this is I think investors need to be prepared for those short-term correlations to go up in a, um, you know, a, a risk-off environment. Um, and and uh, when, when you know, traditional equities you know, sell, sell off, uh, but over a longer period of time, like a three to five year horizon, I, I think we, you, know, you can still expect the correlation numbers to be quite quite low. Yeah, it's all trades are one trade at the moment. Doesn't matter what you what you look at, Absolutely. even even the likes of traditional gold, uh, silver, and the other precious metals, they're all doing the same thing. It's um, it's funny. I was having a chat with someone yesterday who runs a fund as well. Um, and the episode hasn't been published yet. And we were talking about how, how, the, how the markets have corrected itself over the last couple of months, and it's all markets. Um, but if you think about where, where the, where's that money gone? It's, it's that Dixie, DXY that's gone up. Everything else is pretty much crashing or the bond yields that have gone up. Uh, but the so-called safe haven or the inflation hedges like of gold and all, they really haven't performed. It's pretty much the opposite, actually. So, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And, and I vividly remember March 2020, where the the thesis leading up to that was that crypto would be a hedge against you know, traditional market selves. And that was not the case in March 2020. And I, I have a vivid recollection of a particular moment where I'm like, oh, it's all over. <laughs> like, it, you know, the, the crypto markets have tanked, equity markets are tanking, and the, the purpose of crypto assets has just, you know, not sort of been fulfilled. And I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is not going to work out well for, for us or um, investors. But what happened since was incredible, where we obviously had the sell-off in March 2020, uh, and then, you know, April, May, you sort of had people working on what was going on and then everything rebounded. But crypto rebounded, you know, 3x. <laughs> crypto rebounded and went really, really strong. And, and, you know, that's where we've delivered some enormous returns to investors. Um, and I, again, I, I said, I think our best performing month was August 2020, which was a 62% return for the month. So, um, so you, look, the same might happen going forward. I think people need to realise that it, it is a new asset class. I, I expect the correlation numbers and, if it does, which we hope it will, become recognised as you know, a legitimate asset class, um, which you know, some people do already and some people absolutely do not, uh, then then you can expect that those correlations to to increase over time. It's really a weird space where you look at likes of Paul Tudor Jones or Stanley Drunkenmiller, they're talking about it as a one hell of an invention or the fastest horse, different terms being used, right? And then you've got the other extreme end, which is the likes of Warren Buffett. Um, and this has only happened a couple of weeks ago at the Berkshire Hathaway AGM. I don't know if you listen to it or not, but um, he literally called it a pyramid scheme. So it's, it's sad when likes of Warren Buffett, who has got millions of followers, call it a pyramid scheme and countries are trying to make it a legal tender. And uh, every, above everything else, if it's a pyramid scheme, why are uh, citizens paying tax on this thing? Uh, why not just let me uh, poke a play? Um, so, Absolutely. And, and I think, I think, yeah, I actually don't 
um, mind it entirely when I hear comments like that because it shows that we're still early and it shows that there's still two very clear sides of the market. And I think, I think if everyone was on the positive side of crypto, I think the opportunity is not as much there. I think the upside is less. But when you see such strong views on either side uh, and particularly you know, strong negative views, it just reminds you how early we are and, and, and how much you know, upside there is left. So yeah. I don't actually mind hearing that sort of stuff. And, and as you can imagine, I've sort of heard lots and lots of different responses from investors over the, over the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still building the rails. Forget the apps or the ecosystem on the top. We're still building the rails over here. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. funny, um, uh, talking to Montgomery from Roger uh, the other day, the recording's already published. He's changed his mind in this space. A year ago, he was not... Uh, blockchain, yes, Bitcoin, and uh, some of the other cryptos, no. But he's he's taken a 360-degree turn on that. However, they still uh, play pretty safe, obviously, in a space with 1% to 2% of the allocation. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and I, I come from that background as well. I mean, I remember yeah. attending a Bitcoin meetup, I think it was in 2015, and and I, I, I sort of you know, had a bit more time on my hands at that stage of my life and um, uh, went along and just sort of, sort, of, sort, of, sort of thought I'd check it out. And it was how you know, governments were defrauding people and you know, money printing was completely a, you know, this, this, this grand sort of scheme to screw over the average citizen and, and these kind of you know, pretty strong conspiracy theories and Bitcoin was going to be the savior. And I didn't associate with that at all and I, I walked out. And, mm. um, and I mean, that's, that's a, not a very common um, uh, sort of approach these days. But even 2017, when I, when I started working uh, in the space before we launched the fund, I was kind of sceptical and I was kind of like, what, what is this Bitcoin stuff? Like, I don't, I don't really kind of get it. Uh, and, and then it was, you know, because I was working in the space, I just you know, gradually became more familiar. Eventually, I bought some. I think that's a great way. You know, I thought, I thought to myself, Tim, just buy some and then you'll start paying a bit more attention and you'll, you'll really learn. And I wish I had bought 10 times as much. Uh, um, but, but yeah, I very much come from that, that background as well. And, and it's very common where you see this enormous skepticism, but then people go, oh, actually, there could be sort of something here. And, and I, don't, I don't begrudge that at all because it's, it's a very different, it's a very different beast that we're dealing with. Like there's nothing really like this and it draws on a lot of different uh, areas of study. I mean, crypto, it's, it's crypto, it's mathematics, it's um, computer science, it's finance, it's, you know, there's parts of philosophy, if you want to sort of get into that as well. So all these sorts of, um, you know, concepts, which, which are you know, very, very different to what people are used to dealing with. Yeah. I think, I think if you, if you remove the price volatility or, uh, if, or let me put it the other way, if you don't focus on price and actually become a part of the ecosystem one way or the other, uh, then you'll realize what's happening in the space. But if you're purely focusing on the price, uh, there's no chance of winning in this space. It's it's zero chance. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tim, two more questions I have. One, both as a fund and on a personal level, outside of Bitcoin and ETH, three projects that you're most bullish on. Oh, good question. Um... <sighs> Dogecoin? No, uh, not Dogecoin. <laughs> You're uh, a fan um, of Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so look, I think um, look, I, th- I think that's a really tough one because if you ask different people in the in the in the business, they'll give you very different answers. And you know, we've got some people that work with us that yeah, you know, Ethereum's Ethereum's the you know the number one, and some people think of Bitcoin. Um, what's I, the I, agree? I, what's the aggregated answer? Well, <laughs> the, the aggregated answer. Um, look, look. I think, I think um, 
yeah, a couple to look into. Uh, let me just bring up some um, s s some ideas. Look, per personally, I, I try to remain pretty agnostic to it. Um, a because I'm I'm sort of more focused on the business and business development side of of, of applied capital um, as opposed to being in the investments team. Uh, but also because you know you, you don't want to you know, choose a favourite son or daughter. <laughs> um, <laughs> So look, I think uh, you know decentralized exchanges. I think something like One Inch. Uh, they they recently did a round and we invested in in One Inch. Um, that's a really interesting uh, project um, in terms of uh, DeFi prepo, P R E P O, uh, is a really interesting one to look at. Um, I think they were featured in the AFR uh, a couple of months ago. Um, that sort of innovative um, kind of innovative project but people can kind of understand how how it makes sense and, and how you know you can can use it uh i think that's that's a, a good one um pockets a pretty good one as well p-o-k-t um, we did a a report on that um, recently also available on our website um and that's a, a an interesting one to to look at mm -hmm. interesting um and the last question that i i have is how big is so just something on Apollo Fund, uh, Apollo Capital. Uh, how big is the fund currently and roughly how many investors? Yeah, yep. So with the Apollo Capital Fund is probably about 70 million um, Australian dollars. As a business, we manage about 150. Uh, so we've got the market neutral funds. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got one fund there, which is about 55 or 50 US. Uh, and uh, we've got some newer funds, which... Uh, sort of earlier on in the fundraising journey. In terms of the public capital fund, the number of investors, I think we'd probably have four or 500. Um, right. And so we see the most common you know, check size coming into the, into the fund is, is $50,000. Uh, and I think a lot of people, which is, which is very small, uh, I'm not sure about your, your sort of audience, Jazz, but um, you know, for wholesale type funds, you often see a minimum investment of you know, $500,000 or more. So 50 mm. is quite low. And we recognize that people often want to dip their toe in the water, get used to the asset class, get used to us. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before potentially deploying more um, or, or you know, just be happy with that initial allocation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't have any more questions, uh, but any wrap-up thoughts otherwise? Uh, no, no, I think, um, I think for the audience, um, yeah, I, I think uh, two things. One that I've, I've learned throughout this whole journey is you know, just, just keep an open mind. Uh, like I said, with my own personal journey, like you mentioned about Roger Montgomery, um, you know, you can be very skeptical about the space and that's, that's fine, but try to keep an open mind. And often when, often, often I find, I, I think I found that, you know, people would take that sort of highly skeptical approach because it's just, it's quick and easy. <laughs> and so then they don't need to look into it. And it's, it's, you know, I don't need to spend sort of time looking into this or trying to get my head around it because I can just be skeptical and I've made it sort of made up my mind. Um, but yeah, and that, that's what I was like, you know, back in 2015 with this meetup. And even when I started working in the space early 2017, um, but, but I, you know, I have changed my mind and, and I'm glad I did. So I, I'd encourage people to do that. And then secondly, um, I think, you know, in terms of the current market, this is certainly not financial advice, but, uh, you know, when, when people are, uh, saying that, you know, I think I've seen the AFR articles come out saying this recent price reduction is, you know, exposes the Ponzi scheme that crypto is, um, it's complete nonsense, obviously. Uh, but it shows that, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe now or, or in the next couple of months, once we sort of see things wash out, might be a might be an opportune time to deploy some capital and taking that contrarian view. One, one thing that we do see is when our inflows, um, the inflows really do follow performance. So when our fund has been performing well for a number of months, we start to get more and more inflows as investors kind of chase returns or perhaps feel more comfortable. 
but I, I haven't done a thorough analysis, but I, I, my, my sort of initial analysis suggests that when our inflows actually decrease, which is when the prices decrease, that probably um, tends to be a, an opportune time to deploy uh, into the space. I when there's blood on the street, even if it's yours. <laughs> easier said than done. <laughs> That's true. Um, I've got one more question. What are your thoughts on uh, what happened lately with Terra Luna, uh, this whole fiasco? Uh, obviously, the market sentiment was pretty tight because of the uh, interest rates, FOMC meeting, Russia, Ukraine, everything, right? And, and then on top of that came Terra Luna, which... Uh, so uh, due to which markets are a serious capitulation, uh, what, what is your overall take on that whole fiasco? Yeah, yeah, fiasco is the right word. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think the overall take is it was a bit of a shock uh, to, I think, the crypto space. Uh, Terra um, is a blockchain lunar as a crypto asset. Uh, it was a top 10 asset. It was a very high profile asset. Mike Novogratz, who's a you know, high-profile person in, in crypto, even have a ta- even had a tattoo of uh, <laughs> um, Luna on his on his person on his body, uh, and so definitely a bit of a shock that it's it's just sort of entered this death spiral and, and, and been wiped out. Um, I you know, that we had the Pi Capital Fund had about a five percent allocation to Luna, uh, so that's obviously worth zero now, and. Uh, you know, our, our estimated performance for May is, is at the moment it's about down 20%. So without that, it might be down 15%. But really, the bigger sort of story is that the general market volatility is is more um, the cause of of the negative performance in in May. Uh, it's not that this has happened and it's caused the market to then sell off because of that. I'd, I'd say the fallout is actually pretty low. Um, uh, in terms of the price action, um, but a number of, uh, I guess, operators, you know, ourselves included, are pretty shocked that it, that it did happen. And, and part of me also thinks that, you know, a, a, a clear out every now and then of, of you know, of, um, uh, you know, the crypto markets and, and assets, because, because it, you know, it, we, we try to be really balanced uh, and, and, you know, thought leading uh, voice in, within the crypto space, but there's a lot of rubbish. And even the fact that we talked about before that there's you know, 20,000 crypto assets and you know, we're invested in 35. Now, that's not to say that you know, um, 19,965 are, are rubbish. I'm sure there's other good ones out there that we haven't invested in, um, but there are an enormous amount that you know, Paris coin, Floyd coin, um, yeah, other other coins that have you know, very uh, um, exotic names, <laughs> and so we we just try to avoid that. And so having that flushed out um, is, and you know, crypto winter might do this more so than than Luna in particular. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing because you know the, the returns that we've seen in crypto over the past couple of years. You know, you, you speak to some people in crypto, and you know, thirty percent a year is is nothing. <laughs> and you know, for, for me and, and for you, Jazz as well, like you know, traditional markets, thirty percent a year is just like mind-boggling. <laughs> um, you know, a, a fantastic sort of thing. But so, so people, you know, it, it's not supposed to be that easy. <laughs> and people, I think, get a bit complacent. Uh, and um, uh, and so, I think a shakeout every now and then is is good for a bit of a reset. Yeah, if if you really want to know uh, what thirty percent means in traditional markets, maybe talk to your parents. Uh, they'll, they'll tell you what 30% means. Absolutely. Uh, Even 10, I mean, 10% a year, like we, we, in our yield fund, we talked about, you know, the yields dropping to, you know, 15 sort of percent. And, you know, previously you'd seen them up at, you know, hundreds of percents. Um, but 15% a year is 10% a year. It's a, it's a great outcome. So uh, again, mm. I think uh, a reset 
is not such a bad thing. But do you think the uh, it it sort of challenges the whole stablecoin industry, uh, whether it's the USDC or whether it's the tether um, people playing in this space with money, who are parking their money in these stable coins? Uh, is that something that they should be concerned about? I guess is the question. Yeah. Look, I think I think concern is a. Um, is a suitable word. I think it's just a man, you know, on a concern scale of, you know, zero to 10, it's maybe like a one or a two or a three, not, not, not concerned as in, you know, that they're all going to blow up. Um, so look, I think it's something you need to watch. Uh, I think something like USDC, which is considered the, the golden standard, I think, yeah, that's, that's, it's not really going to be affected. And these, these stable coins, they're, they're called fiat backed stable coins. Um, and they're, they're backed by, you know, the USDC market cap is $52 billion. And so they say that $52 billion is backed by dollars in a, in a bank account. Um, and so, so that, you know, they're fundamentally different to an algorithmic stablecoin, which was UST. So I think there's definite concerns about other algorithmic stablecoins and we've de-risked the portfolio to, to remove them. And it's not the first time we've seen an algorithmic stablecoin blow up. Uh, and it, so it probably uh, won't be the last. But when you start saying, you know, getting to, okay, now Tether's going to blow up and USDC is going to blow up, like I think that's, you know, they're, they're fundamentally different. Um, I have seen Tether trade at, you know, 90 cents before, but it has rebounded to its peg. And there's been concerns about Tether for, for a very long time, but um, it's still, you know, it's, it's still managed to you know, trade and market cap's currently $75 billion. So, um, yeah, look, definitely need to be alive and need to sort of watch it, but I don't think it's going to be this sort of contagion spread that UST's blown up and now all these other stable coins are going to blow up. Look, I appreciate your time, mate. That was pretty interesting chat. I'm sure uh, investors, listeners would really enjoy it. Uh, to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. Do your own research. Uh, don't over leverage. Play safe, stay safe. Uh, and thanks for your time, Tim. Thanks very much, Jess. Great to, uh, great to be here.